0: Welcome to Running Off the Rails. I'm Ray. And I'm Arielle.
1: I've got another point of inspiration for you. This is a theme we like to do where you read something or you watch a show and you're just like, wow, I need to put this in front of my players. They're gonna love this. Or, wow, this is insanely cool. Like, I am going to love running this. I'm gonna make it work. And so I found that inspiration recently with the show called Madoka Magica. It's really short, one season, 12 episodes, and you can find it on Netflix. I'd really recommend it. It's super fun, but we're going to spoil the crap out of it right now. So if you haven't watched the show, go watch it. It gave us so many different ideas of how to run D&D. I loved it so much, I made Ray watch it too. Ray, what did you think?
0: I, I think I watched all 12 episodes in about three hours, just speeding through uh, intros or any piece of the show that felt like it was moving too slowly because I was I was hooked on the mechanics. I just, I just kept wanting to get to the next mechanic that I could throw into my game.
1: Yeah, there's like a lot of very obvious, cool, individual things you could put into any game of D&D. Like it's mechanic after mechanic. It's It's just like a treasure trove, I think. Just for a quick rundown, if you haven't seen the show and don't care about spoilers or if you haven't seen the show in a long time... The way it works is this cute little dainty rabbit thing. I don't know, Ray, like what did you think it was when you saw it?
0: It's it's every plush, cute plushy thing that you could imagine all rolled into one. So it's like a bunny rabbit, cat, puppy. And just how cute it was made me realize right off the bat, there is no way that this thing is good news. This thing is only bad news.
1: Yeah, yeah, this thing is too cute to be good. So you have this cute plushy thing that is the patron. And what it does is it comes to any one of these main characters and it says, um, I want help in fighting off this horrible evil. Great start. There are these witches that force people to commit suicide or kill them, other people in other ways, like really nasty things. Only you can stop them, and I know how to help you. And so that is the pitch from the patron. It's awesome. I love the idea of pitching things as the patron. Your patron comes to the player and asks for help. Really cool. So then the next thing it does is it says, in order for me to help you, I first have to give you a wish. This is kind of crazy too. Already two sentences into the show, insane thing. So first the pitch, asks for help. Second, uh, you don't have to give up anything to help me in theory. You just get your greatest heart's desire and then help me. It's like, I will pay you to help me. They get a wish. You can use it to, you know, have all the wealth in the world. Like this is, you know, really powerful. And they say, choose wisely. You only get one shot and then you have to go and be a champion for me and fight in this crusade against these witches. So, yeah, right. Like, what are these witches? What happens after they take on this mantle of uh, being a champion for
0: good? So first things first, they get some sweet powers. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. They they become the heroes of the story. And what they can do now is they can fight against these witches. So they, they use their powers to defeat these witches. Certain witches are more powerful than other witches. And when you defeat a witch, at the end, the witch drops a what's called a grief seed. And that grief seed in the show is the method through which you power up as as a hero. If you defeat more witches, you get more and more powerful. If you choose to not join in the fight against evil after your, your wish is granted, you become weaker and weaker and weaker over time until you die. And then again, huge spoiler, at that point you turn into a witch. So your soul trinket that represents you and that you it's your powers, it's, it's everything about this this pact turns into a grief seed and you become a witch and other people who have made a pact with this patron now come and try to find you, fight you, kill you and take your grief seeds.
1: Right, but none of the actual protagonists know that, which is spicy. And, and I will say, um, Rey has cautioned me about this, we, we probably think that a lot of these mechanics work best for a group you either know really intimately and you know that this is something that they would be excited about, or players who are very experienced, um, who have kind of know how to use the adventure as a way to have fun together as a group of people and and not misuse mechanics for like personal enjoyment at the expense of others. Because these, these get really, combative
0: yeah exactly it's a huge plot point of the show the the villains of the show are not the witches they are completely passive they're they're not even i wouldn't even say that they are evil they just are basically automatons that go around and kill people like
1: forces of nature
0: yeah forces of nature the villains the antagonists of the show are other powerful people who have made this pact with this patron. They're other adventurers if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. That is super interesting because every time you kill one of these monsters, you don't get experience points. You get a physical item that you can turn into experience points, but there are other adventurers out there trying to swoop this item at the very end of a fight so it's such that they can steal all of the experience points from you. Uh, this is very interesting.
1: Yeah, so if all your players are like working in harmony, uh, and then a villain comes in and swoops out one of these grief seeds from under, right underneath their eyes, that's an exciting moment, like that brings in a new villain, maybe adds in a a second combat that they weren't expecting, or maybe they have to deliberate and negotiate. Now they just fought and they don't have any more resources to fight, so they have to use their other resources. So they they offer to pay with magic items or something. Like this is a, a great mechanic if your players are working together. If your players aren't working together, they have to now deal with the fact that there is a scarce resource that they all need. And that could just add tension and make the game more antagonistic more anxiety-driven at the table than you might want.
0: Definitely. If your players are new or you have players at the table who are kind of out for number one, it, even if they say they're playing their character, it's what my character would do. If, if you have players who do not have empathy for the other People at the table, they don't care about the other players' good time. This is not a mechanic you want to run in your game because the way that I would run it for players who I know would be able to handle it is every time you kill a monster, there is one person who's getting a level up. That means you're going to have a party with different leveled characters and the characters who are getting the level ups are in the best position to ensure that they keep getting even more powerful. If you have a healer in your party they need for the fighter, who's going to be up close, who's going to be able to swoop the grief seed uh, right as they get the kill, to then deliver the grief seed to that character because they realize, oh, if I become too powerful, an NPC, other protagonist, antagonist, is going to come and try and hunt me down. It is useful for me to keep the other people in my party leveled up as well. There's lots of mechanics you could introduce that would incentivize this type of behavior as well. One that immediately comes to mind is diminishing returns on grief seeds. So the group becomes much more powerful by giving the grief seed to your lowest level character instead of the highest level character, only marginally increasing their experience points.
1: Right, which is something that happens in the show. Each grief seed is not specifically a level up, it's that it allows you to use your powers. You know, like in a lot of video games, you might have a, a bar that's like how much mana you have or how much energy you have, and that goes down. That's kind of the way this works. So it goes up to your max. Players already at their max, they don't need another grief seed. That's the diminishing return.
0: So let's dive into some specific nuggets, some specific items that we want to e- surgically extract from the show and maybe could drop drop into our games as one-offs
1: for me the most compelling thing out the gate was that you have this patron that is the source of your power and is maybe evil for you but you are aligned for the first half and then you are not aligned for the second half and it's very obvious why and it's not just like oh i'm getting more powerful i don't i don't want to do more because my patron is evil so like before when i was just killing some goblins i wasn't making a big impact but now that i can like topple a kingdom i don't want to do that because even though my patron wants me to that i feel like is a typical D narrative in this show it says for the first half you are killing bad guys because the patron wants you to kill bad guys and then in the second half of the show the patron wants you to turn into an evil witch so that it can help power up the universe uh, because the witches give weird powers to the universe that's a mechanic that is telling your player like this patron doesn't want you to do what you were doing before it's a change like halfway through the show. I think that is a great option as a DM running a patron.
0: Definitely. Right out the gate, you have a deal with this patron, you're just like everybody else who's made a deal with this patron, you're rising the ranks through the other people who have made a deal with this patron, but eventually you become powerful enough where you become very juicy, the patron wants you to turn into a witch, maybe at that moment, that's when you find out that where witches are coming from, they're coming from adventurers who, who die, who fail to kill other witches, who, uh, who are defeated by other witches. Defeated by other adventurers, and then all of a sudden, you realize, Oh, they were just fattening me up so that I could become a juicy witch. Now, all of a sudden, all of the NPCs who were neutral to you, kind of doing their own thing, now are specifically hunting you because they were instructed to by the patron. I think that that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I love this idea of like fattening the player up. So, really, The patron has your goals in mind the whole time because the patron doesn't care as long as you get more powerful. And then you flip the switch and you're like, I didn't care that you saved that town. I cared that you got more powerful. And now I'm going to destroy you. And now you have like an actual, real encounter with your patron and you have to come up with some creative way to fight back. I think
0: that's awesome. And I think... Some another nugget that I would—I don't know why I'm calling them nuggets—another piece that I'd pull from the show. I, I keep thinking of like a gold nugget from Pokemon.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a weird word, but people use it
0: like that all the time. Yeah, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna—you know what? I'm gonna double down. Another another nugget. We've got a ten-piece McNugget here. Exactly. Uh, another nugget that I would pull from the show is that the patron is not powerful themselves. So the patron in this show is immortal, they can't be killed, but they have no power to fight against the protagonists. They are there, they can speak with them, but they cannot... It's not the traditional patron where your patron is Cthulhu or some crazy archfey or an archdevil where if they were there, they could kill you without even batting an eye. This patron needs to incentivize, persuade others to come and get you they have no power themselves lucky for them you have become a very tasty opportunity for people who were just like you so you have empathy for all these people who are coming after you because they want that sweet power up
1: yeah exactly like this patron can do something right like they have to have some way of being an interesting creature the question is what is that thing and it's it shouldn't be power right like it shouldn't be that if it were there it would do all this stuff itself because then you ask the question like oh well why does it need me your patron should have something interesting like they can see the future or they know they can see like everywhere and everything they know where treasures are they can tell you where the treasures are but they can't act on it and that this show does an awesome job about it the patron basically has zero power after it gives you the wish it, it really can't impact the world in any way, but it's, it's a necessary component of gaining the power. Like you need to make the contract with the patron first. So I think having a patron with one power that you accessed when you made your bond to it, when you created that pact, that's, that's the extent of the patron. Everything after that, you already know.
0: I think another piece from the show that I, I really liked and I think its particularly useful in Dungeons and Dragons is that the the characters once they make the bond with the patron, they no longer have a, a physical body. Their their hit points are their kind of their soul or or how intact their soul is. In Dungeons and Dragons a huge criticism that people levy against the hobby is that it's not realistic. You're just as effective as a level one character as you are at full health. And then all of a sudden you lose a single hit point and you drop down to zero. I think that the way that the show handles hit points taking damage is really well and can be applied to Dungeons and Dragons where, oh, your body isn't taking damage. It's your soul that's taking damage. And once you hit zero hit points, you turn into a witch in the show. Maybe you do something like that in in your game as well. That's up to you. But I, I like the idea that the damage that you're taking, it's it's not physical damage in the way that you would normally think. It's it's taking away some from some spiritual, some magical resource that you need to expend to keep yourself going, to keep yourself in the fight.
1: Yeah, it's creating a binary. I think that is what this can might be able to be distilled down to. It's like the binary in the game exists because it is more fun to be able to cast your high level spell and to go in and fight, even when you're low on hit points. Like you don't want to have a spiral where, oh, you got hurt, now you are less effective, so you get hurt more, so you're less effective. So it creates the binary, but um, how can you do that in d So one way would be like, your power comes from your magic sword, and if your magic sword breaks or you lose it, you're not as powerful, but the whole time the fight, you could lose hit points, lose hit points, you've still got your magic sword, you're still powerful. Another binary from another point of inspiration I was just thinking of was Full Metal Alchemist, one of the most successful animes ever. And they have a specific pattern that if you break that pattern uh, for certain characters, right? These are these um, spirits that embody like physical objects. If you break that pattern, the power is lost. And so you could graph that onto D&D to say, oh, I have a specific tattoo that is the source of my power and it feeds off my blood and if I lose a certain amount of blood the tattoo loses its color and now my power is gone. It's like you can add these like fun mechanics into the game that just play with this idea of hit points not actually being your physical body.
0: I think you actually brought up another piece that you specifically liked and definitely appeals to me as well that's why I'm kind of leading you into this. Oh yes. You liked I think the, the cues, the signals.
1: Yeah, so I brought up this word today of a cue for your players. And the show has a very specific cue throughout. It's one thing, it's uh, as soon as you notice that the physical objects of a space have been rearranged, uh, you know that there's a witch nearby. And so, okay, you're walking, you're having a conversation, there's been some big fight and the, the characters are relaxed and talking about the thing that happened and suddenly they see this thing and they know they're right back into it and they have to prepare and it, it really switches the mindset and gets them ready for a combat. If you are in D&D how cool would that be if your players are just traveling, right? So much of a problem of D&D is how do you move your players from one place to the next and we have so many things to say about this. I'm sure it'll be a different episode but one of the ways to make it interesting in Madoka Magica. Is as the players move around, you tell them when they have succeeded, and that could be at any time. And the players have to always be ready for it. So as soon as you see these things being rearranged, bam, you're in combat. So in D and D, I would probably do something where if the 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 sky turned a different color, or if they started hearing like this deep, heavy breathing that had no point of source. You know, it wasn't an animal; it was just everywhere all around them. like These things that are mysterious and world-changing, uh, you can spring them on your players at any time. I-, I really like this idea.
0: I think the reason that I like it is probably personal to, to my game with my players. The, the, the game that I run, my players happen to be very experienced. They're very, they're very proficient in Dungeons & Dragons. They avoid unnecessary combat whenever possible. I like that they do this. I think I think it adds a very interesting flavor to the story. And combat, when done over and over and over again, can get it. It can turn into a slog. But every once in a while, there's a monster that I'm excited to play as, as the dungeon master. Like, oh my man, I really want to play as a, a beholder. What you can do is you can drop in these optional. You can make these fights optional, right? oh, there's a pocket dimension over here that has just appeared. You know that if you go in, first of all, you'll save lives because the thing won't be running rampant anymore. But if you go in and you face this thing directly and you kill it, right? It's not not hiding treasure. It is the treasure. You need to kill the monster to get the reward. You get some sweet loot. You don't have to go and fight this thing. I'm not going to force you to go fight this thing. You know it's going to be really hard and that there's a risk of dying when you go fight this thing. But it's it's my way of kind of telling my players, hey, we are here for each other. We all really want to have fun. I, If you want to fight this thing, I'm going to fight you with it. This is a combat encounter. This is not a different way to, to kind of like circumvent this and get the power up that you're looking for. You can run away, but if you want the power up, you got to kill this thing.
1: Right. And it's more than a side quest, right? I think that is the thing that I found Super exciting. It can be for the main plot or it can not be for the main plot, but it's not a side quest. It's an opt-in choice, right? The players see this thing, something happens to them, and now they decide, am I doing this? I need to know what is going to happen. Maybe I go and find out something at the nearest town. Hey, have you heard about this strange disturbance? And then they come back. But it's just a feature of the world at that point. There's a disturbance in all these different places, and your players can interact with them when they feel ready to do it. You don't have to tell their players, oh, in order to teleport to this place, you need to gather these ingredients. That's that's a side quest. That's a, a fetch quest. This is not that. This is a setting. This is telling your players, out here in all the different parts of the world, there are problems, and you can interact with them, and this is how you know that they show up. And I think that's really cool.
0: Definitely. and. Uh, One other distinct piece that I think is probably the riskiest piece that you could pull out of this and drop it into your game, but it's probably the piece that I'm most excited to try out.
1: This is the uh, crispiest nugget. The the
0: crispiest uh, McNugget, indeed. Is the idea that your level ups are loot drops. You don't get experience as a group from killing a monster. Your level ups come from... The monster drop. And I think this is this is the most dangerous thing to introduce into your game, particularly if your players are a little bit more on the, the greedy, uh, selfish side. But I think it's probably the most interesting because you have this patron. They have many deals with lots of people all over the place. You wonder why all of these people who have made these deals are loners. They're on their own. It doesn't make any sense. You go do that first fight That loot drop drops, maybe even by accident, someone scoops it up, and they're the only one that gets a level up in the party. All of a sudden everyone's gonna be like, What?
1: I love that. Either all the players are like, You pick it up, no, you pick it up, or oh, I think you should pick it up, or somebody is just opportunistic and like greedy and just runs of it, and that's where the level comes from. Like that is such a fun moment at the table. I'm picturing it right now, and everybody is kind of freaking out. Hey, that's not fair. I want to do that. Well, now you know, next session, come back and you'll be able to get the
0: level up. Exactly. It starts to get really interesting. Does that player who scooped the first level up, do they try and scoop the second level up too? And now, now you have a level three character with all level one characters? How do you stop that, right? Because if that gets out of control... That's no fun, right? Maybe, maybe even after the second one, people are starting to have serious interpersonal problems at the table. That's why I say this is for this is an advanced technique for socially and emotionally aware players who are putting the, the fun of everyone at the table ahead of their own personal level ups.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's just also more work for the DM. You need to come up with, if you are excited about this feature, this mechanic, Come up with reasons why the players need to spread them out. Do do a little bit more work such that your villains, they don't care about spreading it out. They want power for themselves, but your heroes have reasons to be more charitable. And I think you can do that as a good DM. You have a lot of ways to
0: give different incentives definitely and then i i like the idea of interacting with an npc who in the beginning of the game looked at your group and was like why are you all fighting together that's a huge mistake you didn't understand why at first now all of a sudden you see them maybe a few sessions level later they were level one with you now they're level five because they've been scooping all the level ups for themselves it's that antagonist Character that we see in anime all the time, where they're getting better. It right? It's Gary from Pokemon. It's Proto Man from Mega Man.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think we do have one more suggestion, but I maybe this is one where it's like, don't do it. But maybe do it. But but don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Definitely don't do it. Definitely don't. But if you want to give it a try, like it could be crazy. And so that's like the very first thing that happens in Matoka Magica is every player gets a wish. That is the, why are you an adventurer is a great question in D&D. Why have you left your home to travel out and seek danger? Great question. The answer is because you get a wish to start with. And that's exciting. And I wanna do it. And I know that I have some players who would love to do it and be able to just have a great time with weird wishes and wouldn't make them OP just for the sake of being OP.
0: Or even if they are OP. Sure. That That's interesting. You, you got a holy avenger as a level one character. I know of a few level five NPCs who would really like that sword.
1: No, I'm OP in the sense that like, they should do something crazy. If a player just wants a horde of money sealed away in a castle that doesn't make a mechanic that interesting for D&D. Or maybe it does? I, I don't know. What do you think, Ray? Would you give your player a hoard of money first day of D&D? I
0: think, I think that if I was going to run this campaign, I would go all in. And I would, I would go in with players who I know personally and are friends with and have run for before, so I know what types of players they are. I would drop all these wacky things on them not in the first, maybe in the first session, but just as an experiment. Maybe the whole thing breaks and we have to play a different campaign the next time around, or maybe it doesn't. I can just imagine the look on some of my players' faces when, as a level one character, they get a wish spell, but they have to use it right away. So they're going to use it suboptimally. And now all of a sudden, they're in this pact with this patron. They did it to themselves. Maybe one player doesn't take the wish because they could smell that it's bad news from a mile away. And now they're not in it with everybody else. They're getting level ups the way that they normally would as a Dungeons and Dragons player. And they're not squabbling over these grief seeds. Do they stick around with the party? Do they stick around with the party to try and like free them from their bond? That's a very interesting relationship with the patron. I don't know. I think if I was going to run a game with any of these mechanics, I think I would throw them all in and just see what happens.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of telling one player beforehand, hey, do you want to not join this pact and not get a wish? Everyone's going to get a wish, and that's going to be really fun. But what if you don't? Do you think that would also be fun? Because I agree that that could be a really wild party interaction where one of the players is just leveling
0: normally. Yep, they're leveling normally. They didn't wish for the thing that got stolen from them anyway in session four. And I, I love that as a way to drive incentives, right? Like, who are the villains it's the hardest thing. It's the reason why meat in a tavern is generally a bad idea because your characters have nothing that bind them together, nothing that motivates them to go to the next thing. This pact, hey, if you don't kill monsters and get grief seeds, you're going to die. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm definitely on board now. That, that's, pr- that's pretty open, right? These monsters are everywhere. It's not just one monster that they have to go kill. They can, they can find them around wherever they go.
1: Yeah, and as soon as these players start getting in a real bind, they're gonna start thinking about, oh, who can they get to join their cult because they need somebody to cast a wish because they are are screwed, right? Like they right. can't do anything. Right. They need a wish. Well, how do you get wishes in this game? You get people to join the cult.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm excited. I think I think it's gonna happen one day. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run this for sure. Maybe if it, even if it's just a one shot.
1: Yeah, I mean I think four sessions would be kind of what I would push for just to get everybody to get the mechanics
0: down cuz I think they are a little bit unwieldy. Yeah, for sure. But I think I've given I think we've given our listeners plenty to to chew on or experiment with. We want to know if you guys run any of these mechanics in your games or have run them already. We want to know how they went.
1: If you haven't seen Madoka Magica and we didn't ruin the entire thing for you just now, go watch it. It's spectacular.
0: Yep. Yeah, it it really got me excited to run more Dungeons & Dragons. Until next time, thanks for listening to Running Off the Reds. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen. It is licensed under CC by Attribution you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's work on the Free Music Archive. If you enjoyed our show today, please like, subscribe, and review us on your platform of choice. If you want to join into the discussion, you can contact us at our email, runningofftherails1974 at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, runningofftherails.com, our Facebook page, Running Off The Rails, or Twitter, Running Off The Rails.